My name is Anthony Capazzoli. I am the host of the Dismantle Life podcast and I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict after nearly 40 years of addiction. I've been clean and sober for nearly four years and work hard to help others find recovery. Join me each episode to learn from my sober superhero guests and how they went from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of recovery. Dismantled Life can be found on Digitent Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So if you don't mind, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read a little bit about you just, just for the listeners, because um, I, I think your background is tremendous and I'd love for them, the guests, to know who indeed you are as we kind of go through this. So if I may, I would like yeah. to just read that real quick here. Dr. Laura Petrosek is a certified DBT therapist, and we'll uncover what that is here in a moment, who as a recovering addict herself, uses her own experiences with recovery and treatment to help others. Um, you know, we can talk about your accolades and your education and stuff, of course, during the interview, but I thought what's really interesting is as a clinical psychologist, you uh, worked through an addiction yourself with alcohol and wrote a book to help people deal with the emotions derived from alcoholism or recovery from alcoholism. I'll let you speak on that more specifically, but it's <laughs> super interesting to me that the workbook is the anger work. Well, forgive me. The DBT workbook is the dialectic behavior therapy workbook. Got Correct. it. I nailed it. Thank you. That's awesome. And I'm excited about this because I, first of all, I love learning about other approaches towards recovery. This is a recovery agnostic podcast, meaning that uh, anybody that recovers is welcome to come and share their story. I do not care how you got there, um, which is really nice because uh, mm -hmm. I think it really is a journey and it's great for people to know that there are others like us and that you can get through it. You got to find your path though, which is great. Yes. So, Dr. Petrosek, I'm curious um, a little bit you about You can call me Laura, by the way, Anthony. Thank you, Laura. Um, <laughs> I know so, Petrosek is a mouthful, yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's wonderful to have you on the show. I'm curious, maybe we can kick off with a little bit about you, about your journey through alcoholism, and what led you to this, to the book, which I haven't read, I have to be fair to the listeners, but okay. I'm excited to learn about it with you on the show. Great. Thank you. Uh, so I was born in, where are you located? Well, I'm originally from Chicago, but my family and I moved down to Florida. We live in Navarre, Florida in the Panhandle. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm out in California and I was born in Southern California, fourth out of eight children. Um, wow, eight children. That's, yeah. a, that's a lot of kids. Wow. It was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> you know, I, by the time I was born, it was very stressful family situation. I'll bet. And, uh, you know, I say in the book, my family and extended family is pickled in alcoholism mm -hmm. and mental illness. Um, and let me see. Up in, at age 13, uh, the company my father worked for got bought out by 3M, mm -hmm. which is based in Minneapolis. So we yeah. moved to the Midwest. That was a huge shock for everybody. Um, unfortunately, there, my parents' drinking increased. <clears throat> so uh, same with my older brothers. 
And my drinking and drugging went like from zero to a hundred overnight. Mm. Like before we moved, I drank maybe a few beers on the weekend, but after we moved, uh, I was getting drunk almost every weekend. When I was in 10th grade, I got my first job at age 15 and any money I got, I spent on marijuana. Mm. So I was getting high every day before school. By 11th grade, then I introduced methamphetamine. I'm working full-time, going to school full-time, you know, drinking. So I'm like getting two hours of sleep a night. And then my senior year is when I started crashing and burning. Um, I started hearing voices. I started thinking the phone's ringing all the time. I was really paranoid. Um, my d- brother was a dealer. I wasn't, but you know, yeah. it was in the same house. Sure. Uh, Easy access. Yeah. So, and I really struggled with, um, I knew that doing meth uh, just wasn't helping. I had to quit. And, but I think quitting cold Turkey didn't help my mental health. That's for sure. And uh, so I was just crying all the time. My mom suggested, you know, go to a psychiatrist. And I had so much shame. I I, I uh, laid on the floor of the car so no one could see me. Now, not that they would even know where I was going, but that's how much shame I had. And the antidepressants worked a little, but then I started feeling suicidal. And one night I um, went into my parents' medicine cabinet I didn't even know that they had sleeping pills, but they did. And I um, took those along with my own pills. I took about 200 pills. And I um, then I went into a blackout. I don't remember what happened. Uh, my younger sister said my dad just thought I was high, put her to bed. My mom went to my room, found the bottles and called the ambulance. I flatlined in the ambulance. I was dead in arrival at the hospital. I was in a coma for a week. And when I woke up, I I came out of the coma. I thought, not this shit again. What am I going right, to do? I, I have no tools. I don't know how I'm going to make it, you know? Wow. And my best uh, tool was what I had tried. And... Uh, so I went to, uh, they put me in the adolescent psych unit, and then they had a woman come from AA, come talk to me, because I knew if I went home, forget it. Yeah, right. right um, yeah. And my parents were not okay with treatment, and I think it's because it would have exposed their own drinking. Yeah, for sure. Um, so she goes, you know, I think you should go to rehab, and if you don't like your life clean and sober, after a year, you could always have your misery refunded. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> Good way to put it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So um, so she held me through the court process to get emancipated as a minor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I became an adult, but I had, you know, not even five cents to my name. And then the county paid for treatment because I had no money. But so back then it was, there was a lot more help, I think, Um for services. And I was in rehab for seven months. It was the best time, the best on my life. It's the first time I felt or learned what a real family is. Um, 
I learned so much, so many tools, how to live clean and sober. Um, well, that's the hard part, I think, uh, for, for me, when I was uh, beginning recovery, it's almost five years in recovery from alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine, is learning a new routine, a new life, a, a new way of coping with the stresses of life, the emotions and everything. And, and that that's the part that gets very lonely because you have to, I had to change everything. Like no stone unturned. Yeah. And I still have some friends that I had from back in the day, but they're true friends, real friends, not just drinking and drugging friends. And people I was drinking and drugging with, it's not their fault. They were just doing what they were doing. I mean, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm saying that right. for me to get and stay sober, I had to literally rebuild everything from the ground up. And it's turned out to be the most wonderful blessing I've ever had the privilege of experiencing. It's been wonderful. Yeah. So, but I get that. Like having to learn new routines, new coping mechanisms is a very, very big deal. And it's scary because you don't, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had no, my playbook was drink and drug more, smoke more, right. stay up longer, all that crap. And yeah. it obviously yeah. didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had, you know, I, I, all my friends were only drinking and drug friends. I had no true friends. Yeah. Zero. So I, started over um well when i left rehab then i i moved in with some other folks into what is now called sober living mm -hmm. back then they we just made it our own right and um uh one by one uh unfortunately uh each person in the house started using again mm -hmm. and um i decided uh, you know i'm 17 i'm too young to be alcoholic addict so I started using myself and um and then I was also really struggling with coming out at that time and I felt a lot of shame about it and just tried to drown my feelings there and I used for about another year and I tried control drinking and drugging but that didn't work so well like I'd be talking to you Anthony but thinking the whole time okay Friday five o'clock it's on yeah. so I wouldn't hear a word you're saying because I was so sure. focused on the time I did allow myself to drink and drug. And um, my bottom that time wasn't really like a big uh, dramatic bottom like the first one. Um, it was more, you know, of a, a fast. Oh, was it fast? It was like it crashed? Well, it didn't crash, though, because I, I was primarily drinking, not so much the drugs like mm. last time. Right. The first time around. So, but I knew, I knew where it was going to go. You know, I've seen it in my family. I just knew it wasn't going to end well. Um, and so I started going to meetings and I've been clean sober since September 7th, 1976. That is amazing. Well done. That's a very long time and kudos to you for doing it twice, right? I mean, uh, we have to do it every day, but that's, that's a long, it's a long, it's a good sobriety date. Yeah. Five years coming up, which which makes me still a freshman, but not not maybe a little bit more seasoned. <laughs> That's a good solid amount of time. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty, I'm proud of it, and uh, as well, you should be. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 actually wonderful. I I wouldn't I I wouldn't change it for anything, and I'm cautious of saying that because I still have to put the work in. I still have to manage triggers and all that stuff. Yeah. I I don't. Yeah. I'm not cocky. I don't think I've got this. I never say that. Mm -hmm. 
because you got to do the work. And I like doing the work. I've become a fan of the process in a very wonderful way. Uh, so I'm curious, you obviously are a doctor, a clinical psychologist. So you, you academically, you do this for, you're a professor or how does, what do you do now? So I'm a psychologist mm -hmm. uh, in private practice. I present workshops. I do speaking gigs. gigs. Mm -hmm. And um, so when, uh, you know, in a way, I think this field chose me. Well, I chose it. I don't know what came first, but sure. I, I started, I got my associate's degree in chemical dependency counseling. I started working at adolescent rehab at age 19 and I worked full-time, went to school full-time all the way through to get my doctorate. And during that time I was working in either rehab or uh, some type of treatment center. Um, That's wonderful. But let me step back a minute. So when I was three years sober though, so this is kind of where my book comes in. Um, I was going downhill fast and it was so scary, Anthony. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was happening. I was in therapy and my therapy would ask about suicidal and I'd lie to her because I didn't want to go to a psych ward again. Um, but I didn't know what was going on. And then one day my best friend in recovery said, Laura, I don't understand you. You are talking so fast. And I'm like, I am? Like, I was only saying like every third word I was thinking. So no one, and they call it word salad. I had no idea uh, what was happening. I was, um, I, I took a leave of absence. I was counseling at a rehab, took a leave of absence there, finishing my bachelor's degree, took a leave of absence, going to five meetings a day from morning till night and getting no relief. And, and then uh, one time, uh, oh, I had uh, deposits on four different apartments. Like every apartment I went to look at, that looked good. That was the one. Yeah. <laughs> that was and then the next day. Oh, that one looks that better. That one looks amazing. Yeah. I can't um, this up. So manic and frantic behaviors. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, and then my aunt, who I was really close to, committed suicide. So that weighed really heavy on me. So I called my sponsor like three in the morning and I said, I, I don't know what's happening, but I feel like I did when I was 17. And so she came and got me and brought me to a rehab, to a safe place, because I didn't want to go to, like I stated, stated earlier, a drug, um, a psych board. And um, she asked me, uh, or no, when she brought me there, uh, they took a bunch of tests, psychological tests, and they said that I was manic depressive, which is now called bipolar disorder. And I'm like, oh, wow. And so the psychiatrist wanted to start me on lithium. But at that time, AA really frowned upon using any yeah. drugs. So, so I told them I wouldn't. And they said, well, you can't leave here unless you go on it. And I'm like, well, I could leave here. Like, I'm an adult now, you know, right, I'm I can sign myself 19. Um, is during this time, my whole family moved back to California. I had no idea um, because they said, well, who do you want to come to family group? I'm like, oh, um, but then my two, my Tuesday night group came. It was just wonderful. They all came and they said, we're her family. And they said, okay, the, the treatment center said, okay. Um, but they had said uh, 
my Tuesday group, they said, you know, Laura, you need this, like you need meetings. And so, you know, Bill W says in the big book, it's okay to get outside help. So I am, I said, okay, I took it. And I was like, oh my God, like, is this what normal quote unquote feels like? (laughs) Yeah. It was amazing. For the first time I felt regular. And then, um, but after about a year, I thought, well, I don't need to take lithium anymore. And then, you know, my life fast forward, go to get my education, um, you know, end up in a relationship, have my daughter, things are moving along. And then she leaves for college. And then the, I hit a worse bottom than ever. I was so depressed. And at that time, my partner and I had gotten divorced. So I was on my, I was living by myself. And, um, and my psychiatrist said, maybe we should try, you know, nothing's working. Let's try this. It was called T it's called TMS. And that's uh, anyway, for depression. And what it did was it triggered a manic episode, which was scarier than I've ever been through. It triggered one? Like, so the goal there is to control, trigger it, control it? No, the goal was to help my depression. What I didn't know is till later is it is not recommended for people with bipolar disorder because of that very fact that it can trigger it. So at the time, I really wanted to sue these people, but I was using every ounce of energy just to make it each day. So I just had to let that go. Yeah. But um, no. um, So my ex and I were back east for my daughter's uh, volleyball tournament. And the next morning I said, we went to her where she was playing and I said, something's wrong. Like, I don't feel good. And, and I meant mentally, like something is so wrong. And I went back to the hotel and I called some people in the program. I called my psychiatrist, my therapist. And I was like, oh my God, I'm having a manic episode. That's what this is. And I was so scared because it was, first of all, I'm 3000 miles away from my support system. Um, and, you know, my ex had never been with me when I had a manic attack, although she was very, you know, s- supportive and sympathetic. I mean, mm-hmm. she'd been a program, but didn't really know what to do. And I didn't want to tell my daughter. And so um, when I came back, went into a program uh, that's called DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. It was an intensive outpatient. Um, and yes, I was, you know, back on lithium. And, uh, so that was one part too, that through this whole time, I wasn't on lithium. I was on antidepressant, which didn't really take care of the bipolar symptoms. And, you know, when I hear people talk in meetings, I'm like, well, that sounds like me, but I'm totally clean and sober. What is going on? And cause I wasn't, you know, I, but uh, seven years ago, this therapist said, what mood stabilizer are you on? And I said, uh, what's today, Thursday? Uh, I don't know. It's been like 30 years. Okay. And like, oh, my God. Well, no wonder you're suffering needlessly, you know. 
So that helped start to smooth things out until my daughter left home. And um, so in DBT, I learned a lot of tools. And one day they said uh, they had the tool, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And I said, oh, I learned that in AA. And um, I said, but the how to not suffer kind of eluded me a lot. They didn't have a lot of tools for that in AA. And, but DBT has like 200 tools for everything, yeah. any kind of emotional problem, any kind of situation. And so then a light bulb went off, and off of my head and I thought, this would be a great adjunct therapy to 12 step. So in my book, I put each step with like three or four different DBT skills that align with that step. That's interesting. Yeah. So like with acceptance, there's also doing meditation. There's um, different uh, blueprints for managing relationships. Um, If you get the regular DBT book, it's like there's 200 skills in there. My book has about, I don't know, 40, you know, right. I definitely pared it down, but, um, but I have really, it's really made a difference in my recovery. And now I'm finally, you know, uh, on the right medication. And I feel like for the first time, you know, really uh, some of those promises finally coming true. So you're able, so you're, you're balanced because you're on the right medication. You have the right, processes routines and therapy Mm -hmm. to to manage quote-unquote manage Mm -hmm. which is wonderful you're obviously clean and sober (laughs) so that's the other part that is obviously a big part yeah absolutely (laughs) so what from up from your book the dbt process is it adjunct work that we can do to get through a trigger or a moment a thought an emotion a behavior so you have for lack of a better way to put it, and please excuse my ignorance, uh, it teaches you off-ramps, positive off-ramps, so yeah. to speak. Most definitely. So let's say, so a big thing, um, I think we struggle with is emotional dysregulation, you mm-hmm. know, our emotions go up and down, uh, or we get triggered, like you said. So there's, emo- there's tools such as... Uh, Meditation is one. Um, There's skills that look at, okay, pros and cons, if you take certain uh, off-ramps, as it were. Yeah. Um, Also, looking at, um, like, thinking it all the way through, what's going to be the end result and writing all that down. Um, (laughs) What are the... Of course. One of the things for me, because the way you put it, emotional deregulation, I don't call it that. I just say I'm having a bad moment. Uh, but I I understand in the what what I, I've learned that I have so I have my regular routines and it's a CrossFit workout or a boxing workout um, for the most part. And I read and I have very positive, helpful, healthy routines. But if I'm having a moment, and I do. I do a couple of main things. I one of the things is no major decisions. I can't yeah. I can't do anything. I can't undo anything. I just have to stay neutral. Stay with it. Stay with it. Chill, relax, yeah. no major decisions. Uh I 
go to safe places where I, I need to not concentrate too much. I have to, in mm-hmm. my own, being with myself, I'll put on a show that I've seen before uh, or it's usually something like a law and order or something like that. And I, in, or uh, modern family, it just depends. And I sit there and mm-hmm. I just enjoy the moment. It can't be the news. I hate reality television. Uh, yeah. But the point is I have these little off ramps that I've built. And the, so the two main things is get comfortable, chill, no major decisions. Don't do something, don't undo something. Mm-hmm. And just sit there with it. And what I like about that, and it sounds like that's what you're suggesting with the DBT process therapy, is you you have written off ramps to help people get through moments, whatever those moments might be. And I, I would imagine there's a list of triggers and items and things. Um, and I and I think that that's the beauty of I think having alternatives to AA, which I love and respect AA. But I think it's interesting because everyone's going to have or face different challenges. They're going to have different. Mm-hmm things come up, triggers come up, whatever it might be. And depending on how you respond can lead you down one path or another. I have to be very careful um, with there's certain movies and things that I know going in, like there's, I got to be careful what I allow or introduce into my life because I don't want to get derailed. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting that you have these processes because I love that. I think those workbooks and the things that you can rely on are great. But I also think it has to be simple enough to be able to do. You don't need, you shouldn't have to cross-reference a bunch of things to get something done. It should become kind of positive yes. and knee-jerk. Yes, because if you have to cross-reference, it's too much thinking. Yeah. And, you know, when we get into that place where we're going zero to 100 or uh, how we're triggered, one of the um, um, tools they talk about, which you briefly mentioned, was, you know, not making any major decisions is called riding the wave. So you just, you know, like hang on your seat and (laughs) let yourself, they do, you do breathing exercises, keep it simple. They even suggest don't drive during those periods. Um, And so riding the wave, you know, just like it says, we're riding that wave of emotion out. Um, and we'll know this too shall pass. And then we're using tools within that tool to help us through, like for you, watching a movie or not making major decisions, yeah. staying in a safe place. All those are important, you know, and sometimes it means leaving wherever we are, um, especially if we're triggered by wherever we are. Yeah. So but I think, yes, uh, AA isn't necessarily for everyone. And another reason I wrote this book was that there's so many people in the program that have mental health issues that I rarely hear people talk about. Yeah. But I know it's there. Oh, because I sure. see them in my practice and you know, but it's like this big uh taboo or secret or shame. Um and this That's is strange. where I also feel the DBT skills could help them. Because here's people like I remember I heard one guy at a meeting and he's not the first one who was talking about, he used to be on uh, anti-anxiety meds and then he just realized he needed to do like 10 more steps and then he's fine. And I talked with him after the meeting, I said, you know, I think, you know, as a psychologist and also as someone else in this program with mental health issues, I think it's important not to be your own doctor. Well, like I'm a doctor yeah. and I'm not even my own doctor. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I, I mean, you can't, 
you need to no run self diagnosis. Yeah, it's, it's important. You, especially when you go off medication, you you really need to talk to a doctor. And I mean, it's great when you did like, you know, ten more steps, you were quote cured. But um, I th- can go either way, though, Laura. Right? I mean, it could go way off the reservation in a bad, yes. bad way. And well, I, unfortunately, I know people that have committed suicide yeah. going off their meds. And they were totally stone cold, clean and sober. And I, so getting to the underlying pain, trauma issue, whatever it might be, is critically mm-hmm. important. I have gone and go to therapy and it's tremendously helpful getting to my own inner demons, traumas yeah. that have existed. I don't blame anybody for my drugging and drinking, but there were things that happened to me that may have led me down certain paths. I'm not blaming mm-hmm. anybody. I take full responsibility for all my mm-hmm. actions. And I will continue to do that. However, getting to the underlying pain, trauma, issues are very important. Unlearning the bad responses and the bad knee-jerk reactions. I'm having a good day. Let's go get drunk. I'm having a bad day. Let's go get drunk and get some cocaine, whatever. Insert here. Take trigger, issue, item, success, failure, add (laughs) alcohol and drugs. It'll be better. It's always better. It's Mm -hmm. all bullshit. And then, but I, I also learned that if I, one of the things, one of my new exit strategies in a positive sense, my off ramp, I talk to myself, no one's here, you know, and I'll talk to myself all out and, and talk through the, the issue. And it's, it helps so much. And I might, and forgive me for saying this, and I don't say this lightly, but I must look crazy. And I say that, please politely understand that I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm saying to someone walking by, sitting there having a full blown conversation with myself, because I'm sometimes I'll do it on a walk and, and other things where I'm out in public. I must look odd and that's fine, but it helps so much to air. Uh, yes. I guess my personal grievances and, and whatever's going on and it helps so much. So I think mm-hmm. that having those, those processes are, are and have some certain friends of mine that aren't in a program, but are tremendously good friends of mine, best friends who are always willing to listen. They always answer the phone and they'll just listen and let me, I'm not going to say vent, but purge. Yeah, talk about what's on your mind. Yeah, and it's 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 awesome, and I love this. So, how do people find you and then find your book? I, I think that what we're talking about is critically important, and I think that your book can be a tremendous value to anybody who's going through any program at all. Right. Um, so the book is on Amazon.com and uh, Barnes and Nobles. It will be launched on February 21st, 2023. Um, you could find me. Uh, well, let's see. Well, if you're in the Bay Area, you could, pers- <laughs> I mean, not personally, in person, find me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Otherwise, um, my website is my first and last name, phd.com. And uh, then it has all my contact info there. Um, and there's I links do to the book and everything there. And I, I yeah, think that I do probably 70% online therapy and 30% in person. And if I can't help someone, I will refer them to someone who hopefully can. That's wonderful. Um, and yeah. Laura, I will have your link to your website 
links Great. to your books, your book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, all in the show notes. So you can find you, contact you, get help online or meet you in person for some help by your books, of course. But it has been really nice to uh, have you on the show. It's been my honor getting to know you and thank you for helping me have a great day. Thank you, Anthony. And thank you so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. Yeah, my honor. Okay.